0: I'm Wilson Pruitt, and you are listening to the History of Methodism podcast. You can support us online at patreon.com slash historyofmethodism. Today's episode, Oxford Methodism Part 1. The University of Oxford did not have any extracurricular activities in the 1720s and 30s. There wasn't a workout facility nor a set of campus ministries that people could be a part of. There was no Associate Vice President for Student Affairs, and definitely not a Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. As well, the Holy Club, or Oxford Methodism, two terms I shall use interchangeably, did not begin on a clear evening in November of 1729 when John Wesley and his friends met together and said, we shall have a Holy Club, and we shall be methodical about it. No the association of John and Charles Wesley and their friends emerged organically during this time period. In episode 36, we heard John Wesley's perspective on Oxford Methodism in his letter from 1732. That neat narrative which Wesley presented was not exactly historically accurate. As Henry Rack puts it in his biography of Wesley, quote, "...the picture of a single tightly knit club..." led by Wesley under fixed rules and meeting in one place, has dissolved in the light of recent research. The research that Rack cites is from Richard Heisenreiter's original research for his dissertation on Oxford Methodism. I will quote large chunks of Heizenwriter's work in order to follow his narrative, which is still broadly the consensus today. Heisenreiter writes, quote, Bob Kirkham and William Morgan were already at Oxford when Charles and John arrived in November of 1729. The four young gentlemen were together again. The next nine months would see a definite strengthening of the bonds which drew them together, as well as a developing awareness of their corporate fellowship by others. The group began again where they had left off, except that now John was resident and his attitude was attuned more to the establishment of permanent ties within the university community. He had no students yet, and the offer of a curacy had not arisen. He had his friends, however, and together they began slowly to build their movement, leaning heavily on John's leadership, which was grounded in his four years of personal, intellectual, and spiritual searching, and his experience in the parish and was supported by the mutual interests and concerns of his company of friends. Wesley was lecturing in Classics, Logic, and Divinity at this time. As writer continues, For the better part of a year after John's return, late in 1729, the small circle of friends resembled an informal literary society more than anything else. There was no organizational structure, nor even regular meeting times at first, but the focus of their activity together was unmistakably tied to a scheme of study as Wesley would call it. The evening gatherings are clearly discernible in the mass of abbreviated diary entries by the careful notation of who has come and what is being read. At this point, these meetings were more of a book club than anything else. In some ways it was an informal tutoring session where they read classics together that each undergraduate had to read, including Lucretius, Terence, Juvenal, and Horace, among others. But a schedule was beginning to take place, as Heisenreiter notes, quote, by March 1730, the first real pattern of meetings of the Oxford Methodists began to take shape. Tuesdays at Charles's, Thursdays at Bob Kirkham's, Saturdays at John's, and Sundays at William Borgens. In August of 1730, John formally received his first students from the Bishop of Lincoln, though he had been supervising one student for a few months. John then designed a course of study for his new students, including the reading of Nelson's Devotion, Howell's History of England, Terence and Horace in Latin, and the Anakrion, and New Testament in Greek. Heitzenreiter says that the group at that time still consisted of the four gentlemen in the evening gatherings, following the same schedule that they had settled upon half a year before. But their program of study and devotion was soon complemented by a new and more active focus of concern. Quote, On a late summer afternoon, Wesley accompanied his brother Charles and their close friend William Morgan to the Oxford Castle with its unique mound and tall tower, ancient even in Wesley's day, on the banks of the Isis on the outskirts of town. They had gone there on Mr. Morgan's suggestion that it would do much good for the prisoners in the old fortification if anyone would be at the pains now and then of speaking with them. Morgan had been to the prison many times before, particularly to see a man that was condemned for killing his wife. On August 24th, the Wesley brothers went along with him. As a result, John was fully satisfied with the value of such an endeavor and began going to the prison for an hour every Saturday afternoon. On top of this new social concern, John began to organize questions for the group in November of 1730. Though it has been difficult to determine which There were at least four sets of questions, some referring to social actions for group use, others for more personal use in the development of virtue and learning. The basic set, or general questions, that Wesley used for self-examination were edited multiple times. Some lists have 15 questions, others have 20, and still others, some number in between. The goal was to, quote, have the mind which was in Christ. Wesley included four lists in his diaries, but they were all based on the incomplete first list, which I will now share with you. 1. Have I frequent thoughts of God and prayers to Him? 2. Do I maintain warm, even purpose of obeying Him? 3. Am I active and zealous in doing what good I can? 4. Is goodwill the spring of all my actions toward others? 5. Do I labor to make them sensible of it? 6. Have I conversed as usefully as I could? 7. Did I in the morning look forward on the business and duty of the day? 8. Have I said in the morning and afternoon, Almighty God, how? 9. Have I missed prayers unless for communion? 10. With what fervor did I pray by myself in thanksgiving At church, 11, have I to any pleasure received immediately subjoined thanks? 12, have I been or seemed angry? 13, have lies or words that unnecessarily grieve my neighbor fallen from me? 14, have I divulged any evil that was not necessary to do good? 15, have I entertained any proud, unchaste thoughts? 16. Have I immediately thrown them from me? 17. Have I read over the questions for the day? 18. Have I visited a rich man and not a poor one first? 19. Have I conversed with? 20. Have I immediately after breakfast said, O God, after tea, remember? The question of the day mentioned above, has to do with a set of questions Wesley made up for the group based on the work of Robert Nelson and others to lift up a different virtue for each day of the week. The virtue for Sunday was love of God, Monday love of man, Tuesday humility, Wednesday meekness, sweetness and resignation, Thursday sincerity and courtesy, Friday mortification, Saturday chastity. The questions for Tuesday illustrate the depths to which the one asking the questions probes themselves. 1. Have I spent any moments in thinking on my infirmities, follies, wickedness? 2. Have I commended myself? 3. Have I avoided flattery? 4. Have I given way to others? 5. Have I despised anyone's advice? 6. Have I, when thought so, said I was in the wrong? 7. Have I meekly suffered reproach or contempt? 8. Have I rejoiced in contempt for doing well? Nine, have I desired praise for being humble. At this time, the group didn't grow very fast. It also began to receive opposition from others at Oxford. And yet, a few new recruits were found in Wesley's diary at this time. Boyce, Hall, Hervey, and John Gambled. Gambled described the meeting's at that time as mostly concerned with prayers and the study of books. Quote, but the chief business was to review what each had done that day in pursuance of the common design and to consult what steps were to be taken next. Heitzenweiter notes some changes that took place for the next year, writing, quote, As the winter of 1731-32 began to recede, the membership of the small group of Methodists began slowly to change. In mid-February, Mr. Boyce left Oxford and seems to have taken the living at Bletchingdon, where Wesley visited him two months later. The second Saturday in March was Bob Kirkham's last occasion to meet with the group before taking up a cure somewhere in the neighborhood of Abingdon, six miles to the south. Bob continued to maintain contact with the group, but never again as a regular participant. Finally, in June of 1732, William Morgan became sick and left Oxford for the final time. His influence shaped a large part of this early period of Oxford Methodism, leading to the social concern and care for the sick and imprisoned that John and Charles Wesley continued their whole lives. As Heisenreiter writes, quote, In the three years that they had walked together, William Morgan and the Wesley brothers had set the basic design of personal piety, intellectual endeavor, and social concern upon which Oxford Methodism was to build for the next three years. The only other area which was to alter noticeably in the next months was their churchmanship, and this began when John Wesley made the acquaintance of a new friend, John Clayton. The departure of William Morgan and the entrance of John Clayton mark a turning point, point. In Oxford Methodism. What changed? How did the group grow? And what did Oxford Methodism become before the Wesley's trip to Georgia? Next time on the History of Methodism.